talk to me about how writing your own life rather than focusing on these amazing people that you talk to, what did that do for your own confidence as a, a person delivering stories? If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. What is up, 10,000 No's? Nation, how are you? Today we have what uh, network TV shows would call a very special episode uh, because it's a very special week for 10,000 No's because the book came out on Tuesday. And um, thank you to all of you that pre ordered it months ago, some of you weeks ago, some of you the day before it came out, some of you maybe are just ordering it now, and some of you, when I do this Jedi mind trick on you, are going to order it after I tell you to order it, order the book now. Seriously, it's been really flattering, humbling, uh, kind of blown me away how many people have not only bought the book, but other uh, friends of mine that have way bigger followings on social media than I do who have posted about it and uh, told their followers about it. So very much appreciated. Uh, This episode is the idea, the brainchild, if you will, of uh, my producer, Ayla, who said, I don't think we should do a regular interview on Friday. We should put you in the hot seat. And I said, okay, cool, I get it. She said, because the book's coming out and it should be about you. And I said, great, great, great. But I'm not going to go find someone to ask me questions. However, I've been doing a bunch of press. And one of the things that I was so honored to do, uh, it came out last week, is a podcast that I listen to myself. And it's an acting podcast called Back to One. And Peter Rinaldi is the host. And he just asks really great questions to actors about their process, about acting. And then with me, he did that, and he also was kind enough to have read the book. Now, we sent him a digital copy of the book, and he actually read it on his phone, which was a great sign to me. I was like, huh, I like his taste. When I listen to that podcast and his taste in actors and the actors that he's had on the show... I really like them, and he seems like he legitimately dug the book, so that was very cool. We had a really cool conversation. I said, I'm going to reach out to Peter. I said to him, I I will tell you this. Any actors that listen to 10,000 knows, and I know that's a lot of you, I will tell them they have to go listen to Back to One, and I mean it. I'm just going to, this is just in my previously played, and I don't even know if it saves all of them, on my uh, Apple podcast. For Back to One, in my previously played, I have listened to Alessandro Nivola, Ethan Hawke, Aidan Gillen, Ariel Cavosi, Dominic West, you guys know him as Jimmy McNulty from The Wire, uh, Lake Bell, Michael Kelly uh, from House of Cards, Christopher Abbott, Numi Rapace, 
Jackie Weaver. I mean, Jackie Weaver, Eric Lang, David Zayas, Greg Kinnear. It just goes on and on. Tracy Letts, Jason Clark, Adrian Martinez. He got the whole cast of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, Mary Kay Place, Josh Pice, who I've had on my show. Rami Youssef, Brian Cox from Succession. I mean, it's just un. Believable. Catherine Waterston, Rosalind Chow, Shea Wiggum. You guys know him from Boardwalk Empire. Matthew Del Negro. I know that guy. Um, Josh Hamilton. I mean, it's just he has these amazing actors. And it was one of those shows where I go, holy cow, I can't even believe I'm on it because I've listened to such great actors on this on this show. And um, he really asks questions about the process. And and it's a, it's a great podcast because if you're an actor. My takeaway from that show is everybody has their own process. There are a lot of overlaps, but there are as many different approaches to acting as there are actors. And and so it's a very, not only empowering show, but educational show. So I'm always inspired by the people that I listen to on that show because they really get into the nitty gritty and I'll steal stuff from some of them. I'll go, oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. And then sometimes you go, huh, that person approaches it totally differently than I do. I'm going to try that. Or, oh, they have a kind of a very similar take on things that I have. So I highly, highly suggest it. It's presented by Filmmaker Magazine. It's um, it's really cool. And he was kind enough to basically lend it to us to release as our episode today, kind of celebrating the book. And really, it talks, you know, it's a lot of us talking about acting, but then uh, we get into the book as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, this is Peter Rinaldi interviewing me on Back to One podcast. And here it is. Who are you, though? Who are you? Who is like the, what was the, where's the little kid inside you? Where's the kid that got knocked down on the playground? Where's the kid that, get, you know, that's what's interesting is like seeing people negotiate their way through their life. To me, that's what it is. And I, and I also, I think that's what's interesting to me. I think probably why I chose this profession. What makes people tick, you know? And it's just as an actor, you get to not only ask them, with your mind, but you actually get to jump into their bodies for a little bit and and actually feel it. Filmmaker Magazine presents Back to One with Peter Rinaldi. Matthew Del Negro is an actor. He sat down with me on the Upper West Side of Manhattan to talk about the work. Do you have a typical way that you like to begin your preparation process for a role. Here's a quote. This is a question that you claim you ask yourself. What am I going through right now that can be infused into this character? And what can I learn from this character and his journey? You say, these questions start to shift my awareness of the character from being out there to being part of me. When I read this, man, I was thinking, this is what a lot of these interviews have been leading toward. It's not just finding the character and portraying it. It is 
finding something in yourself to connect with it in this weird energetic way that I think you're talking about here. Yeah. But tell me how much of this is really still true. Are you, is this, is this your first part of your process? I would say, first of all, to give credit where credit is due, um, that's, that's kind of Kim Gillingham, an acting coach that I've worked with in LA who, and then her protege, Amanda, uh, Lovejoy Street. So I got that from Kim originally would say, why did this script hurdle through the universe yeah. and land on your lap right now. Like, what are you going through in your life, struggling with in your life that you can fuse into this character? And what is the character going through in this story that you can learn from or pick up as part of you? So it's it's kind of, it's like, what's your jumping off point? And that was another, Ron Van Loo, who I studied with here a long time ago, used to say like, you know, what's your jumping off point? So I think what that, I, I, I think why I gravitated toward that way of thinking about it is it, it just, to me, feels like very brass tacks. It's a way of taking this writer's work and honoring it and being an interpreter, but it's always going to be filtered through Matt Del Negro. I mean, yeah. I could play some character that is on the surface very different from me but in, in in some way shape or form the only eyes and ears and brain that I have that's gone through this earth before I got to this project were mine so who else's interpretation is going to be so you can't like you know that's the elephant in the room if you if you ignore what you how you respond to the material now if you just stop it right there and you don't do any further work then you're kind of always playing you in these different situations which might get kind of you know maybe there's not going to be a lot of range but I do think you have to bring yourself to every role and I also think that every role kind of adds a new piece to you if you let it in mm. in some way I always like a, like approach this for if I had the role, if I have the script, me in my fearful self, all of a sudden I'm scared out of my mind. Like the, the first thing is just fear. How do I do this right? How do I do this right? How do I do this right? Let me, let me flip through. How do I do this? How am I going to do this right? Get the lines down. Get... It feels like what you're saying here is like that kind of cuts that off and there's another process at work initially. Forget right or wrong. Like why? Like you're saying, why is this script huddling through the universe and landing on me right now? Oh wait, wow, that's a different way to look at it. Like wait, this is meant to be. I'm gonna mess this up. No, no, no. It's here. It's yours. Yeah. It overall, it does start with that question, kind of what's my jumping off point. That's that's a kind of a good place to start. But then depending on my overlap with that character, then things may go a little differently. I mean, I'm obviously uh, always reading the material just to get it kind of into yeah. my system and kind of sometimes when you just read it repeatedly, things just seep in, you know, if you have the time, which is a luxury, sometimes I don't have the time. Um, but there will be some roles where you just have more of a natural 
affinity toward that role because you have, you know, maybe more similar experiences and there are others that you don't. And so I still think even those ones that are, are seemingly a stretch when they're when they're all said and done and people see them and they're like, oh, that was so different from how mm-hmm. I experience you in life. My thought is like it has to have some kind of there's got to be something in me that's that's similar underneath all the external things that's similar to that character for it to for it to resonate with audiences. Yes, and yes. and the, kind of the funny thing about I was telling you, I've gone back to these, you know, Sanford Meisner on acting, which I read like, you know, when I was living in New York first year, like in mm-hmm. the late 90s. And I went I listened to it on tape like a week or two ago and. And it was kind of cool to listen after that much time had gone by. And then I just listened to the Esper one and I hadn't read that before, but they were saying things. So I was given this information a long, long yeah. time ago. Yeah, that's Some of it I either forgot yeah. or forgot exactly how it was put. Yeah. A lot of it I've been doing <laughs> right. without being realizing completely that. conscious of it. Right. And, then, and then some of it I also found like, Oh, you've gotten lazy in some things. Ooh. You've gotten, you've, you, you know, you've gotten too quick as mm-hmm. a result of, you know, the reality is, you know, I've been very fortunate in the last couple of years where I've had more time with material and I've had like a whole season's worth of scripts before we started filming. So mm-hmm. I kind of, you can approach it more like a, a play or a movie where you know right. where you're going. Right. But a lot of the work that I did a little while ago, it was like, you're getting like a, you're going in for an audition for like a guest star and you're shooting it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you rely on things, you know, the like the, maybe the most important thing was always like, how can I be alive in the scene and how yep. can I really be listening and reacting off the other person? But you kind of, that speed. It's almost or, like shortcuts. Like yeah, shortcut that lack of preparation. It. I think you can lean on certain things. And when you look at your own work, you can see tricks and you can see things that you did that like maybe because of time you had no other choice. Yeah. But, you know, you had to do it. But it can also lead to habits that are less than what maybe, you know, I'm striving to do now. Right, you know. Right. Right. It, isn't it funny that that you can be doing it as long as you've been doing it <laughs> and it's still there's still so much room for improvement. I mean, there's nobody that has sat down here oh. man, and said that they got this. If anybody <laughs> says they got the it, then, didn't yeah. I mean, you know, nobody's getting you know, nobody's sitting down and saying yeah. it's, it's amazing. And it's amazing that you can keep going back and like like somebody like uh, um, um, Josh Hamilton, who is like just such a student always he loves the podcast and is always keeps on just like dipping in the newest book comes out he gets it yeah. <laughs> bro you've been worked with everyone you've been on Broadway you've been you know yeah. on all these big movies like you know haven't you like chilled out and just can, can, no it's not but I think that's the curiosity that that's what makes him so yes. good that, it's, the, it's the curiosity it's like the humility to go like no I don't have this I'll never have this. I'll be, you know, going to the grave and I'll still be looking for it (laughs) or I'll have it for like a second and then I'll lose it and then I got to find it again or I'll have it and then I'll do something else and it'll get tweaked and it'll be a little different. Like that's, I think that's just the nature of 
life and that's the nature of this craft and I think a lot of things are that way you yeah, you know there's yeah. like there's levels of understanding and then there's like you know you take two steps forward one step back yeah you, you know it, it's never like maybe part of the job is that letting go when you don't do you, it doesn't go the way that you hope you have a less than enthusiastic day or whatever you know you come back and you're like ah and part of it's like you got to go like okay let it go and we come back tomorrow and we yeah. and we hit it again and we if we didn't feel good about what we did then we're going to do better this time I went back and watched your first scene as cousin Brian oh in the Sopranos <laughs> I forgot about that character. I mean, I, I watched every Sopranos as, it were, as they were coming out. <laughs> and um, I was looking critically at it, man. I wanted to see a young, naive actor. I wanted to see a, I wanted to see a crack. I, I wanted to see a guy shaking in his boots sitting next to James Gangolfini and um, Edie Falco. I didn't see that. I really didn't see that. You were... It's it, it's it, it's not it's not a you know you're not getting killed by him or beaten up it's it's nothing big yeah but but you had a poise and a reality and I think that's why I didn't remember the character because it didn't seem like you were acting oh it just it felt like the guy you know cousin Brian like <laughs> <laughs> and in your wonderful book you 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 write about getting that role getting there and it seems like such a it was such a huge moment, such a huge um, role to land and so much pressure. I feel like some people believe that they're not good until they, until they make it. I think that maybe most people have it or don't. And you can see it even when they're in their juvenile phase in their first roles yeah. in their first big roles yeah. I mean do you believe that do you, are you how much of a different actor are you right now from that in re, for real like you can say you've learned so much but how well that's what I'm saying where that's kind of the, the contradiction that I'm talking about is like so that was you know I was that was in 2002 right so that's a long time ago um and yet, at that point, I had been studying and doing, you know, black box theater and independent films, like, you know, for free and student films and all that stuff. So I had some miles on the road and I was in scene study classes all the time. So it's not like I was a complete neophyte, but it was the first, like, kind of, I'll put it in quotes, real job I had in terms of, you know, that kind of changed things a little bit. That's kind of what I'm saying is that when you listen to a book and you go back or if you think about child actors, it's like all we're trying to do is all the classes and all the theory and everything. All we're trying to do is get back to the place where we can buy ourselves as this character in these circumstances and go. That's kind of like if you really boil it down. So, yeah, I felt in that role. Now, Here's another thing. The writing on The Sopranos is great. 
the other actors on The Sopranos were great. Yeah. You know, I was in a, it was J- James Gandolfini and Edie Falco. It doesn't get much better. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what was happening for that character, if you talk about a jumping off point, it's like I was the kind of wet behind the ears cousin coming in to take over the finances for this my my cousin's husband who was this mobster and I didn't even really know what he was up to at that point I just knew something and me Matt was I was you know wet behind his ears actor <laughs> yeah. coming on to the greatest show on <laughs> television true. with the James Gandolfini That's so true. it's not that hard well, to find wait. the parallels I know between- but I actually have to take because I just saw the scene Maybe I'm nuts, but you weren't just the. You didn't just lean on the wet behind the ear, wet behind the ears thing. You, I felt like you, you were like this awkward part of the family. I felt like you were, you were, yes, you were a little intimidated by these people in the same way that a cousin would be intimidated. Like I was looking for a thing to find in there, where it's like, oh, this is young Matt Del Negro. Wow, look at him; he's grown so much. But I'm just saying that. that <laughs> There was something, you imbued that with something other than just leaning in on that. Because that would have been kind of, that would have been what anybody would do to survive the scene. Yeah. Unless I'm just totally crazy and, and, and seeing no, things that aren't there. I, I think, you know, there was something when that audition came through, I remember it was like a bunch of financial jargon. And I happened to have... I bartended in a place that was all, mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot of Wall Street guys came in and drank there. I I went to school with a lot of guys that went down and, and were on Wall Street. My brother ended up being in finance. Mm-hmm. Like it was a world that I kind of, I could hook into the language of what yeah. I was doing. And then I, you know, obviously then w- was kind of like studying all of that with the financial planner part of it, just to, so I knew what I was talking about. And so, I, I don't know. I think it was, I had a take on that character, I guess. Yes. And that's what I'm talking about when you go, you know, a character can overlap with you in some way. And maybe that's what it was. It was this this guy yeah. who, was, who was straddling two worlds. Yeah. And I feel like, I guess every character is kind of straddling two worlds in some way. But I, I thought of a lot of the roles I've had in my career. Um they've straddled two worlds he was innocent mm. and he had a he had an attraction to the dark side of what tony was doing because he quickly devolves as the season goes on and and he's getting wasted and he inadvertently gets tony involved in a hud scam and you know yeah. and then he, but then he's kind of like he gets a watch he gets an expensive watch but then he's afraid to go that far so he's I think if you talk about the jumping off point, that's that was my jumping off point, maybe, with that, because I straddled the world of coming from, you know, being an athlete in college and then being an actor. And, yeah. and you know, like I said, all these guys that I know go on and do finance, and yeah. I'm the guy that's serving them Guinness at the bar because yeah. I'm an actor. Yeah. You know, so I was caught between worlds in a way. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. The, 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 the idea of being an athlete and how that helps as an actor is something that I have been circling around. And then when I read it in your book, where you talk about it a little bit more, it really hit me. I was like, wow, there's something about um, 
maybe it's the connection to your body that is ne- that is necessary between the body and the mind, particularly in plays. This endurance thing, being not so much an athlete right now, do you still pull from whatever that was in your acting work? Like, is it was something instilled in you as an athlete that you're still pulling from right now? In the work. Just to qualify it, I, you know, yes, I was an athlete, but the truth is I I don't feel like I'm particularly a natural athlete like some of the guys that I grew up with. I felt like I was a really hard worker who really cared. And so the, the athletic background, I think, is a dual-edged sword and it's really good in some ways and there are some ways where it could be a detriment which I'll, I'll tell you in, in my mind I, I think the, the biggest uh, positive is is kind of in that mindset of you know and, and you know my the, the height my varsity football coach in high school used to say like you'd be there in August for double sessions in what we called the pits. And it was like dust coming up, nostrils are all, you know, you, yeah. you'd go three hours in the morning, you'd go home, I would go home and eat like a pound of pasta and then you'd like come back yeah. and in a couple hours and you'd have your, your second session. You'd be there, you know, in the, the heat of the summer. And you, he would always say, it's like these are the, it's this that you're drawing on when you're in, end of October and November and it's cold out and you're at the end of the season. It's this stuff that, that makes you a champion. It's not the stuff that happens right there on game day. It's what, the, what you put in. So I think in that way, the mindset and also kind of getting knocked down and getting back up, that's, that's been really helpful because I have been knocked down just repeatedly in, in the business as everybody who's listening, who's an actor, feels that yes. in some way, shape or form. Um, so the mindset is great. It's like that kind of grinder mentality. On the other hand, I have had to learn to lose that in some ways um, where if you're always muscling it and grinding Ooh. and grinding, you can be missing out on the oh. advantages of what it's like to take a breath, oh. what it's like to daydream, what it, which is all imperative yeah. for an actor. Like yes. you, you, you need to not have a linear agenda all the time, or it'll end up being pretty narrow. Oh, you know what I mean? So, so it's kind of this battle within yeah. me of like the part of me that goes I want to do this 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 and this and then the part of me that says like I you know maybe you're going for a walk and listening to something Mm. maybe you're you know doing things that are seemingly not giving you progress but that is what you need you need to you know I've had to actually I've had to almost undo some of that background in order to let some of that stuff in again you talk about straddling between two worlds i always think if some of the people that i'm friends with in my life saw what we do in, in you know like some of like an acting workshop like with kim she does 
dream work. It's Jungian dream work where you're, you know, you're bringing in dreams and you're pulling stuff up and you're, you know, mat work really. Like it, I always feel like I have two very different sides of my life. Mm. And, and so it's this kind of yin and yang and, and the, that athletic mindset works for part of it. I think it works for survival in a really rough business but it doesn't work always for the artistic side yeah. and the soul side and yeah. the the language side that that needs to exist kind of without time and boundaries and yes. you know is more on the emotional side of things than than the, the physical pushing how do you handle this new kid at school phenomenon of being dropped in as a guest star to a show that's been going on for a while or even if it's just the first season but people are in their groove I've talked to some actors on the show about this whole thing it's almost crippling some actors of just getting there and that aspect of it that has nothing really to do with the work but it has to do with like politics and sociability on the set like you're a nice guy like is that is that what you do do you try to be make everybody be friends with everybody do you try to keep your distance until they want you know to talk to you like how do you navigate and has that changed over all these years yeah it's definitely changed and it's definitely again you go back to that mindset there's and you go back to the dual edged sword of that ability to be adaptable, to know my role on a team, to deal with multiple types of people, to, you know, have the savvy to figure out what the environment is before figuring out how I'm going to negotiate it because each set is its own animal and it mm -hmm. depends on some of them are toxic and some of them are great. It de depends. But I, I think I had an ability to just kind of walk in, figure out, get my space and, and perform in, in that environment. That's good up until a point. And what I, you know, you're talking about Messina before, but we, we would jokingly call me the recurrer because I would come on to a show and it was supposed to be like one thing. And then I would just go for a they would long like, time. They would like what you did and have you come back. Yeah. And I think, I think that was a combo of things. And I think it, it was helpful. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm done doing this. I want to be on my own thing. I don't want to just be keep being a guest on other people's sets and then we kind of with my team and everything kind of made decisions of like what to how I had to you know say no to things and then and mm. then you know have a specific idea of what I want to do um, but when I was really doing a lot of that I think yeah that stuff is you, you know it has a lot to do 
with there were like two things there was there was acting and then there was this whole other thing as i say it's like an acting class is the most pure form of acting and then when you work on tv or film it's like taking that acting class and going up to a building here in Manhattan and being on the 80th floor when it's being built and it's just it's like doing that acting class on steel girders with like <laughs> pulleys you know swinging by you and like that's what it's like and so you need to figure out how to do your work in this new environment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I guess I was able to do that and um, and so I I got work and then it would expand and then I, I feel now in the last few years, it's been nice because I've been kind of on shows. You know. So this, this whole conscious attempt to transition that with your team worked in a way, right? Did they, but, and I'm sure, I'm sure that they wanted this to happen because it means more money for them because they want you to, they, you know, they want you to be on a show. But are your people generally amenable to these kinds of requests or are they just like no you can't turn no you can't say no to anything right now yeah no they were they were um i felt like i had limitations in my own head that were holding me back and when i Mm. consciously took them i said i want to take you to lunch i want to tell you what we're gonna do we i want to i want to I can't keep, I, what happened was I had a, a really very busy year that was, it, it almost couldn't, I couldn't have worked more that year. And I got to the end of it and thought like, this was really good, but if this is it, like I can't do much more. And this isn't, I don't think this is enough yeah, right now. Yeah. And so I said, I have to, you know, hold my bullets more and and yeah. be more yeah that's a good targeted. analogy yeah and yeah. so we you know they said you're gonna work less you're gonna have to say no you're gonna you know it, in the short term it's going yeah. to reduce the amount of work and but that was a conscious decision and it did require me to sit through some lean times but then ultimately i ended up doing goliath and that was such a great experience because, well, the whole cast and the material and Larry Trilling, who was the showrunner, mm-hmm. was just so collaborative and so empowering. It was such a great experience. Mm-hmm. It was season two. Mm-hmm. And um, Mark did a lot of great scenes with Mark Duplass. Yeah. Yeah. He was <laughs> really funny. Funny stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he and and that was that was a great experience and then and then huge in france after that was incredible experience and like uh did you get to did you see that i see i I, that's why i wanted to sit down with you when i saw that i was like all right this this guy (laughs) 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 i'm shocked that they didn't give that another season you must have been wait we need to talk about that yeah because because my two favorite times when i punched the wall was when I was like 13 when the Pittsburgh Steelers lost, which is embarrassing. Yeah. It was a it was regular season. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my father made me patch the wall. And I did an amazing job. I patched the whole, it was a, so I learned something from that. 
then the next time, I didn't punch a wall, I threw a plate through a wall and I had to patch it again. And I, because of that first patch job, I was able to patch this. And unfortunately though, that was not that long ago, Matt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was with my wife. <laughs> and yeah. that's embarrassing. And I'm bringing that up because you very courageously and, and appreciatively, I appreciate this, detail this moment in your life when you punched a wall and really fucked up your hand. Yeah. And that was only three years ago and it was around this time we're talking about, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that we're talking about after coming off a great year and then coming off a great season of something, you can have that much anger. I want you to just talk about that moment. I don't know if it was career-wise anger and frustration, mm. although I think that was part of it. I think ultimately it was this feeling of, and also some things precipitated that, that were kind of nothing to do with this business. But overall, if you boiled it down, like if you were doing this as a scene, you were doing that scene mm. where this guy punches a wall, by the way, a stud in the wall. Yeah, so it that's didn't, not, yeah. it, it didn't require not, patching. It just required a <laughs> cast for me. Um, I think it was almost a feeling of like, and it's, it's so juvenile in a way, but like, I'm coming for them. <laughs> and that sounds, mm. but it's kind of a little thing that I think I do, which is like a, again, you know, it's, it's probably embarrassing on, on, on an interview. But it's like this, just a chip on my shoulder that I'll put on and say, like, you have not seen me do anything yet. Yeah. You've not, I've not scratched the surface and I'm, and I'm still coming. And it was almost more of that energy, but really dumb. And, and the consequence was I was, you know, in a cast and going to my, you know, couldn't have a, a catch with my son and like, you know, going around town and people going like, oh, what'd you do? And I considered lying about it. And then I just said like, punch a wall. And I just said, fuck it. I'm just gonna, I, I, I need to own up to it. And ironically, it's like the universe gave me such a great gift a couple of months later because that Jason Allen Ross was like, I mean, I, I couldn't have prepared for that role really any better than the embarrassment of going through uh you know wearing a cast on on my hand for like six weeks you know yeah and and just and so that role and and i i believe or at least from you know what the the writer directors told me and i believe this to be true i think the reason i got that role was because i it was really funny material really funny i mean i was dying laughing just reading the script but underneath it there's a real sadness and a real desperation and frustration and 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 I I I really that's where I hooked into it and they just said nobody that came in they said there was nobody that came in which is kind of almost surprising but there's you know maybe they're just saying that, that that's what you say but they said nobody really came in with that take on it from the from the first audition and then i had to go through multiple you know yeah. rounds of it but but i saw that as funny as that whole show was and it's funny what i thought was brilliant about their writing and their direction i just think those guys andy mogul and jared paul are hysterical but what i loved about it was like the the underbelly like they captured something 
I was able to laugh at myself as an actor. And then I was also able to kind of, it was also like a guy with such a big heart and he cared so mm. much and he just wanted. And so that whole moment of that spring of punching a wall yeah. and being an idiot really was what I needed to just kind of open up amazing? to when, when I played yeah. that role. So it was exposing to play that role. Everybody would think it was funny. And I'm like, oh, God, I feel like I'm exposing <laughs> That's myself. That's even funnier, though, I think. You know? That's what made it more interesting. I mean, look, there. Dylan Galula last week said there's nothing that can happen to an actor that they can't use. Totally and, agree. And there's somebody listening to this right now, man, that maybe didn't punch a wall, but... They're in that moment. <laughs> they weren't that idiotic. They're, they're, they punched the wall when they were like 45. They're that, <laughs> but they're in that place. Yeah. And I'm not saying like next week you're going to get a role and you're going to be able to exercise that in that. But I'm just saying this is the profession where whatever's happening, you can use it. I know that that's a cliche that actors <laughs> Can I say something else to that same person who's listening? Yeah. Here's the other funny thing about that one. That audition came in, and that character was written as a 30-year-old, blonde, mm. buff, blue-eyed, blue um, like a young Brad Pitt kind of guy. Yeah. And I looked at it, and I was like, I just looked at the the character description which if you're listening like don't look at the character description you know what it's you in these circumstances yeah. how about that yeah but when you looked at that it's like oh they're never gonna they're never gonna cast me yeah but then the material was so good and the material got under my skin so much that it was just like okay well this is an opportunity to go in and do my thing with it they may not give a shit what my thing is, yes. but that's what I'm going to give them. And it did turn out that eventually they were like, oh, yeah, we'll go with that. You know, it was not what that character description was. Yeah. But there was something deeper that I connected mm. with in that character. So if, if you are listening, you're like, you know, you don't cast yourself out of the role. They'll cast you out of the role enough. And I'm. You know, I tell myself that because I've done that over the years. Oh, they yeah. don't want, they're not going to want me. They're going to, you know. Yes. And you, and you said something before that I wanted to stop you, but it pertains here. And you said, you know, the, basically all we're doing is we're just trying to get back to the point where we, be, we believe ourselves in the role. And that's what the, you know, a lot of people may, may, may think, the whole thing is about making them believe that you're the role. No, it's about you believe. That's, yeah. the, that's especially the first step. Yeah, because if, if you believe it, they're going to believe it. Yes. And and that was another thing with, with that character that was just to go back to the question you had before about the athletic and the, and the physical side of things. That was the other thing. His, his physical external look was kind of I thought imperative to pulling that character off yeah. he's always in the gym with his, his yeah. stepson and he's always uh, not even stepson but he's always he's like a peacock and he's he's waxed and he's this and that and I and I thought I, I 
maintain myself in decent shape, but I was like, oh, I'm not in that kind mm-hmm. of shape. And I just, I called a friend of mine in the fitness world and I just went, I, I, I had like, literally had like 22 days before this sequence of like uh, these various like sex scenes and scenes where I'm shirtless and all this. And I just said, how do I do that? And that work, the, the physical, the eating regimen and the, and the workout thing that I did, and it wasn't really that long of a time period, mm-hmm. but that fully fed the character. I mean, there were things that oh, happened interesting. as a result of my wife in real life was like, just to give you an example, I was, I was cooking chicken breasts. I would have on our grill, I would have like, you know, 15 chicken breasts that I'm cooking because I would do all of the cooking in the beginning of the week and I could only have chicken breast and steamed spinach <laughs> and <it> avocado, <laughs> like one avocado per day and oh. whatever it was. And and um, I, I kind of got so obsessed because I had this specific target to mm-hmm. hit that at one point our friends invited us over to their pool and I have, like, and I was putting everything in these little Tupperware containers and I'm like, oh crap, we're gonna go there. It's gonna be awkward because they're gonna do this, but I really have to stick to this. So I literally took the, the container and like stuffed it in the bottom of our beach bag and we're going over, we're about to leave and my wife picks something up and she sees the thing and she's like, are, are you kidding me? Are you, you're not gonna bring this to their house and you're gonna eat your fucking chicken and breast over there? And I was like, I gotta do this. And, and literally that is in the show. Whoa, whoa. You know, that there were scenes in the show yeah. where that dynamic, it was, it, and so again, that's like the, what we were talking about originally, which is what's your jumping off point. Yes. For me with that role, it was kind of the, the wall punch and the frustration, but then where do I get to this? How does the other work get me to this character too? And even just that activity and that regimen got me to the point where I could believe myself as this guy yes. who was, you know, so self-involved about his eating and his shakes and his all of this stuff that I could buy it. A few years ago, I went to see my friend in a play. I went the very first day. And then I went back for a specific reason on the very last day. The very last day, the actors were really proud and happy. And um, they, they, they thought that they got this. I heard them talking. They finally got the pace. And they were like, we finally got it. Now it has to end. And uh, I thought it was fucking shit. On the last day? On the last day. Interesting. So much worse than the first day. And they had thought that they got it because of the pace. And they, and that, yeah, I, the whole while, it was done so fast. And they were, and it, I, there was no meaning to it. And in your book, you talk about sitting down with Sam Rockwell when you guys were reading American Buffalo. And he stops at a certain point and he says we have to be careful with a play like this 
the danger is letting a play this good make our choices for us. Fighting that temptation to spit it out fast so it sounds good. And I thought this was really perceptive of you to hear this from this great actor, put it in this book, then I was relating to it. I'm like, all right, this is something that I don't think a lot of people really talk about, though. This idea of have to lock into this pace. You have to, once you lock into the pace, it's easy. I don't act, Matt, so I don't know. (laughs) I'm fascinated by you people. This whole idea of losing the reality of the thing because you're locking into a pace, it seems like it's so potentially um, misleading in terms of like just the way he puts it here. Yeah. Like being uh, um, tempted to lock into this and thinking that you quote got it because you're locking into the pace. What do you think of this? I mean, you you wrote it down. It must have hit you somehow. Well, it it hit me because one, he's so great, and and Messina was the, it was at yeah Chris's house, and and he and I have had. It's like I can't do this interview with you and not mention Messina because he's such a part of me as an actor. He's mm-hmm. you, you know, people respect him and and love him out there, but they don't even know the half of it with his just you know, ripping things apart, putting them back together. It's, I'm very lucky with that friendship and in that, how it's fed me. And and the the thing with Sam saying that was, I had done Speed the Plow. Um, We did it at ACT and that was, you know, Mammoth is, and when you don't have a ton of time to rehearse, (laughs) it is, tempting and I'm sure we fell into that trap in some ways I'm sure I could go back and look at that and be proud of some of it and also go like oh I wish I had you know you could have like 10 years with Mammoth and yeah. still not you you know you could kind of get underneath those moments better and who's that character and what's he going through and and what's interesting for me is between Speed the Plow and then West Wing and then Scandal all of those have a certain style and a certain mm. rat-a-tat-tat pace to them. Sure. So you kind of have to get on the train eventually. Right. You're getting on the train. But the danger is getting on the train and, yeah, not and really thinking no, that's it. Yeah. That's not, if that's the whole thing, I think you're going to be missing a lot of colors. And I'm, and I'm sure, by the way, that I'm guilty of it as well. But I, I think with anything you're doing, whether it's that or it's not something that's that stylized, hopefully you're ripping it apart and slowing down and kind of examining underneath the hood a little bit before you put it back together. Right. You know, and, and if you if you just lock into this thing, then what's the difference between that and like, I don't know, what would be the analogy? It's like, if you if you have nothing underneath it, then it's 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 empty in a yes. way. Um, yes, and I feel like that's what this play was in the end. Shocking that they can go through an entire run and lose it 
and not only lose it, think they got it. Well, that's what I what I find more fascinating about that story is it's a good thing for actors to hear. Sometimes it feels good and it's not good. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't feel good and it actually is good. And I think that has something to do with maybe people have a desire for some kind of certainty or some kind of feeling like we got it. Like even that thought of we got it, it's like, well, you know, I'm thinking of my first, one of my first teachers in, in New York, Terry Schreiber, yeah. used to say to me, and this talk about unlearning some you know habitual things. He used to say, "Don't be such a straight A student. Mm. We don't want to see the guy that has it all together. Yes. We want to see the messy, underneath parts of where you're confused, where you're lost, where you don't know exactly what you're doing. The, you know where you're not quite where you want to be." That's what we go to the theater to see. We don't go to see you have it all put together. And maybe what you saw on that last performance was these people that were like, yep, we crossed all our T's, we dotted all our I's, and here it is. And you're like, yeah, but I don't give a shit about it because I'm not led into that process. Whereas maybe the first night they were struggling for something, they were searching for something, and you were able... It was more alive, isn't that funny? The audience is able to, to... participate yeah. in a way and it is uncertain but uncertainty is good because uncertainty is what life is yes. so so it's I mean that's what, going way back to I don't even know if we were recording but we were talking about how you could just be a student forever that's why you could be a student forever because you never have it like you yes. do have it but you, you're always it's always changing on you yes. so just when you think you've grasped it it, it just kind of like goes through your fingers like sand, you know? And, and I, I think what, when people see a great performance, they're watching, maybe they're watching the person who, as, the, as it's going through their hands yes. like sand. And that's what they love about that. That's is that they don't quite, it's not, it's not perfectly resolved. Yes. It's not perfectly symmetrical. It's, it's, something else so you have a great podcast called 10,000 No's you just wrote a book called 10,000 No's now honestly if I had seen this cover this good looking guy it's called 10,000 No's I'd be like a fucking self help book how to over you know overcoming your (laughs) What is it called? What's the subtitle? Over, um, overcoming. How to re- overcome. How to come re- overcome rejection, rejection on your way to yes. On the way to your yes. And let me tell you, people, I love this fucking book. Okay. Uh, and I'm probably going to read it again. I read the whole thing. I'm going to read it again. I can't believe I, you read the I whole read thing. It. I read it. I swear to God. I, I I'm so impressed. I swear to God. I read it on, uh, on my phone, though. So I need, I, you know, I need, I need the actual book when it comes out. But so before the book was this podcast, though. And I think the reason why I love your podcast, Matthew, is I feel like you're the same kind of host I am, or at least I want to be. And that's, you seem to really be getting something out of these people you're talking to in a real way. And therefore, I get something out of it 
as the listener. And it's not like, it doesn't feel like your job. It certainly isn't. You don't have to have this podcast. But I would really like to know, speaking to your actor self, okay, that creative part of it, because you, you interview people, that some people that aren't actors, a lot of people that yeah, aren't actors. Yeah, a lot of people. But how is this feeding your acting self? How is this feeding that creative side of you talking to people in this really deep way? It's not that different than what you do when you're given a character. I sit down with people so I know something about them. I don't know a ton. Sometimes I've read their books, sometimes I haven't, to be quite honest with you. So what I came to, and this was for sustainability and, and how I could you know, actually accomplish this while having a family and a career, was I'm gonna do a, a little bit of um, research. Uh, a lot of times it was people that I knew or I worked with or I, I knew of them somehow. But I'm going to do that, but then I'm going to really listen and I'm going to really ask questions and I'm going to be present. So it's been great practice in how do I really listen? And one of the biggest compliments I've gotten in, in like the, you know, the little reviews and, and just from feedback on emails and stuff like that is that people have said, I feel like you're asking the question I was just going to ask that person. Yes. And that's just really listening you know for example this woman that that was uh incredible I mean, incredibly successful but there's just an unbelievable story Susie Batiste who is the founder and CEO of Poopery. yeah and she was telling this harrowing story of her childhood and into her early 20s and she said something and she said and, and you know it's these some of these people do a lot of interviews. So they, they're telling their story over and over again. So she said something and then she said, you know, and I was raped and then, and then she kind of went on. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You just said you were raped. Like what was that, you know, and stopping and yeah. really listening. And we went into a whole sidebar on that. And I think that's the same muscle as an actor it's, yes. it's really, it's what Sam was talking about of slowing down and really asking what's happening here right. as opposed to getting on the train and just going. Yes. And, and really the, that I would say it, it is totally fed me as a, as a human. It's really why I started it was just being kind of, you know, kicked in the teeth a lot by this business and I had come off of I was working on Scandal and that kind of dried up and then I kind of couldn't get arrested that whole for a several month period and, and I just said like I I don't want to wait till somebody hires me to be able to do something myself and so it a lot of it was to kind of save my own soul and go like how do these people move on when they're stuck mm. and and not just actors i do talk to a lot of people in our industry and i probably will veer that way now i'm kind of but but i wanted to talk to you know a wide spectrum of people and, and i i think that it's that it's the same curiosity that you need as an actor i've actually been doing it with my character now i'm 
as I'm here and I have more time, I'm looking at my character a little bit like, huh, if I were to, you know, there's only this little tip of the iceberg they give me that, that is in the show. Yeah. But what if I were interviewing my character, Chris Kaysen, for my podcast? What would I be asking? <laughs> that's interesting. And then I started to think, well, really, that's not enough. That's only like an hour interview. What if I were doing a documentary on it? What would I ask then? I'd be asking, you know, I mean, think about it. When you see a documentary, right? That's the same thing we need to be doing as actors. Like, where they live, around where they, yeah, yeah. where they grow up, what time period did they grow yeah. up? In? What were their parents like? What was their relationship like? How they feel about money? What What was he? You know, what were their political leanings? What mm. What happened close to them growing up that might have been like a, a pivotal moment? Mm-hmm. What, what was the point where this, you know, if he's the, the head of the gang unit now, what led him there? Mm-hmm. Where was he when he was a teenager? Did he always want to be a cop? Did he, I, you know, th- these are all different questions. And that's kind of what I've been getting practice with, with real humans. Mm. So it's it's been, it's actually been really good for that reason. It, it really has forced me to be alive in the moment. Yeah. Listening. And it's and it's also encouraged me to ask the right questions, to try to uncover things. You know, and I'm sure sometimes I do it better than others and you know, but I love it. I mean I I, I think you you it, it just feels like you want to be there with these people and you want and you're interested in them. There's an episode of your podcast where you talk about what you learned from writing this book you mentioned something very interesting you were talking about how it was so helpful to you to be able to trust that your story was enough that your particular story was enough and it helped you as an actor and I was thinking that this would really help actors too if they could tell their own story in this way, because that connection to your own story kind of goes back to what we first talked about in this, in this interview, which is having a way to connect to this person that is through you. And, and it's, it's almost like you were talking about how initially you were thinking, well, look, I haven't won these awards and everything. Like, who am I? I'm not at the end of my life. Who am I to write a book? But trusting that your experiences, your ups and downs were enough as a story kind of locked you in to this storytelling aspect of you that is what actors do moment to moment when they're telling someone else's story. And I thought that that was so, so interesting. And it was the particular thing that I loved about your book. If you were somebody at the end of their life, had quote unquote, you know, all of the markers of success, like you're talking about awards and everything, I don't think it would be as interesting as this. The parts that you were hitting on, you're a working actor. And we're getting you at a particular point. Talk to me about how writing your own life, 
rather than focusing on these amazing people that you talk to, what did that do for your own confidence as a, a person delivering stories? Well, you took it back to the beginning of the interview and we, back then I was talking about Kim Gillingham and one of the other things that Kim would say is that the root of all bad acting is that feeling that we're not enough. Yes. So we're always trying to overcompensate. And it's one of the things I love about your podcast is that you get these amazing actors that you sit down with and every one of them on some level feels like they're not enough or they're an outsider or they're outside the group. They're not in the, you know, the inner circle, but everybody feels that way. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, writing, really it started before the book. It's the podcast itself really helped me to start to tell my story. And then that kind of led to people having me go speak at little, you know, events. And, and, and then this woman that I know who's, uh, you know, she speaks and is very, very on top of that whole industry said to me, you could do this. And I started writing my story in this way. And I remember, you know, Messina at the time goes, I don't know if you're going to, you may or you may not do this as like where you're going to make money doing this, but just the act of writing your story, I think is going to empower you in some way. And it was absolutely true. And the truth is that the, the book came from putting myself out there on the podcast. And one of my guests is a best-selling author who's written 22 books and he introduced me to his publisher so it wasn't it came about in a very kind of strange way where the planets aligned and then and and here it is but yes it it required me to kind of silence that critic in my head that was telling me like who the fuck are you to read a to write a book like nobody Mm -hmm. cares man that's that the critic in there is saying. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, that author, John Gordon, at one point called me after like the proposal, I'd written the proposal, I made the deal and I was kind of about to start writing. He called and I said something to the effect of, yeah, it's going to be kind of like my tribe of mentors. Tim Ferriss has this book, Tribe of Mentors. That's all of these little stories of all of his guests and he's like no 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 he's like hold on a second tim ferris wrote tribe of mentors but first he wrote the four-hour work week which was his story yes. he's like Ten Thousand knows is your story it's the, you have to write the book that only you can write and i was like yeah but i haven't won an emmy and an oscar and this he's like i don't care he's like i want to know what it's really like to get 10,000 notes. I want to go behind the scenes with you. He's like, you can have those guests quotes and yes. stories, which is what I ended up doing. Yes. He's like, they can kind of back it up, but it's got to be you. And that was scary again, because it's exposing, it's vulnerable. You know, you brought some stuff up today that I'm like, oh shit, I talked about punching a wall and we're going to talk about that <laughs> on my back to one interview. <laughs> This is not what I planned, man. 
All these people have hey, to know this. You're nothing but a wall puncher. You know what I mean? That's what's, what's going to happen. But 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 that that bringing myself to it has it, it, it's helped. It's helped just the yes. way. Um, it's just kind of owning all of it—the good, the bad, and the ugly—and I think that that I think that that helps. I don't know. In some way, I think that that helps my acting because that, isn't that what we're doing when we're acting? We're yes. doing it through the form of another character. Yes. But but we're exposing all these parts of ourselves. Yes. It's, it's funny. I'm thinking of. You know, I said to you that 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 Jason Allen Ross character yeah. was maybe you know one of the best characters that I've been given in terms of like just contradictory and all over the map. And yet, when you bring up like you know the the wall punching, I would say is not. And now I'm really beating it by a dead horse here, but but it's really not indicative of who I am as a person. But it's a it's a contradiction, and yeah. it's a and it's funny that the tendency for me is to go like, oh, that seems a little messy. That doesn't seem like what I want to present myself as. Yeah. And yet, when I'm talking about this character that I played, and he was really all over the map, I'm like, what a great character! <laughs> Isn't it interesting? <laughs> like, yes. you know, yes. Yes, we don't want to be. But, but when we, it comes to ourselves, we just want to be like, yeah. "Hi, I'm, you know, I'm Matt Del Negro, and everything's great." You know, it's like, no, that's right. not the whole story. I'm that's, so, I'm so great, I'm boring. That's what we want yeah, to be. That's really we what it is, and that's what Terry Schreiber is saying. Don't be yeah. such a straight A student. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that. That's not. Yeah. You know why? Because it's not real. Yes, it's not real. That's two dimensional. Nobody is that, that. I mean, that's if you want to go back to the podcast and what I've learned, that's what it is. It's like people have, you know, I sit down with someone. They've got all of these accolades. They're the CEO of this. They were, they, you know, they won an Emmy. They yeah. were whatever. They won an Oscar, whatever it was. That's this layer, this external layer. Now, who are you, though? Who are you? Who is like the, what was the, where's the little kid inside you? Where's the kid that got knocked down on the playground? Where's the kid that, get, you know, that's what's interesting is like seeing people negotiate their way through their life. Yes. To me, that's what it is. And I, and I also, I think that's what's interesting to me. I think probably why I chose this profession because I'm interested in, in that. Like what, what makes people tick? You know, and it's just as an actor, you get to not only ask them with your mind, but you actually get to jump into their bodies for a little bit and and actually feel it physically right. go through their world as if you were in their shoes, literally, you know, walk in their shoes. Right. Matthew Del Negro, thank you for finally sitting down with me. Uh, my absolute pleasure, pleasure Peter. I'm very uh, grateful that you had me on. It's cool to be on a show that I listen to and I have I've gotten so much from this from listening to all the other great actors you've sat down with that it's very it's an honor to just uh, you know sit down and, and so get cool. to you know and now you've given back 
now we've gotten your leaf on the tree. Yes. That we get to examine, man. How cool is that? Back to One is a production of Filmmaker Magazine, which is a publication of IFP, the Independent Filmmaker Project. Listen to back episodes of this podcast at filmmakermagazine.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody. I am not such an egomaniac that I'm going to do the top three takeaways of myself on my own show. So I will not do that. I will say thank you again to Peter Rinaldi. I hope if you listened, you really appreciated the the care with which he asks his questions and the depth with which he asks his questions. I hope you guys go check out Back to One. It's definitely worth it, in my opinion. Um, Everybody, again, who ordered the book already, I appreciate it. If you are reading it and you're liking it, please let me know and let me know if I could repost that on social media so other people can see these positive comments and they want to go get it. Uh, If you can do an Amazon book review, I have been told that that really helps the visibility just the same way, you know, Apple podcast reviews and five-star ratings help the podcast. It's the same thing with that, with books. So um, any love you want to give it, we would love that. Uh, We being (laughs) mostly me would love that. And if you have not pre-ordered the book or not pre-ordered, if you have not ordered the book, there is a, uh, a link to that in the show notes. So you can go get it easily or in my bios on, on social media, you can get it or at 10,000nos.com. That is it for today. Thank you all so much. I, uh, I hope you have a great weekend and you come back on Monday for the Monday Morsels. And then we've got a couple of good ones in the can uh, that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. So come back and join 10,000 Nose. All right. Thank you all. Take care.